The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Exodus 20, verse 1 through 17, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Ten Commandments. There are times as I study the word that I come across a verse that doesn't mean much to me uh, the many times that I read it and then suddenly a light goes on and you see something you've never seen before. Has that ever happened to you? It, it happens to me and when it does it, it brings me incredible joy. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22 and I want to look at one, one verse in here in connection with this idea of honor your father and mother and also in connection with the idea of Mother's Day. And in Psalm 22, 9, Psalm 22, the very famous psalm, it begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in the complexity of the psalms, you know, there's an interweaving between David's life and the life of Christ, and it isn't all about Christ, and it isn't all about David. There's a, a blending together there uh, in a very marvelous and complex way that I don't want to get into tonight. But look at Psalm 22, uh, verse 8 and 9. Let's, let's look at those verses. There, uh, the mocking scene is predicted. And David writes, he trusts in the Lord. The mockers are saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In verse 9, though, it says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. And then verse 10, from birth I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You've been my God. Verse 11, do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Verse 9 is particularly fascinating to me. You brought me out of the womb. And the NIV says, you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. Now that's a fascinating concept, isn't it? Here's this nursing infant, and he's being caused by God to trust in God. 
when I when the thought struck me, I said, well, first of all, this is just a, another great evidence that faith is a gift from God. It's the work of God. It's something he crafts within us. But then as I really wanted to press it, I looked to the Hebrew and I wanted to translate it and I looked at other translations and it really disappointed me to find the words in you weren't there. All it says is, you made me trust at my mother's breast. But then the Lord opened it up even further at that point. David didn't trust in God at his mother's breast. He just trusted. He couldn't have put words to it. He didn't have any words. He was an infant. He was learning trust at that moment. You see what I'm saying? As he was nursing, as he was there, uh, having all of his needs met, as he was being comforted, and not just at nursing, but in all the interactions between a, a very young child and a mother, he's being taught to trust. He doesn't know anything about God. What could he know about God? All he knows is that he has a need, and he wants the need met, and mommy meets the need. And so little by little, he just categories are shaped within his being, in his character, in his nature, that are preparing the way eventually for him to trust savingly in God. It's going to be a long journey, isn't it? And it's not going to be until little by little he can understand abstract truth and can understand certainly words and concepts. He's not going to transfer that little seed of trust that he had been putting in his mother uh, to a very high and greater purpose, namely the trust in God that will save his soul. It's no insult to moms to say trusting in mom won't save your soul. But you do learn to trust even at your mother's breast. You learn what trust is all about. And, and every time you skin your knee or you're scared in the middle of the night or you're sick in the middle of the night or something and there's mom and she helps you through that time, you're, you're just having an experience crafted and prepared in which you're learning to trust. And later on, at a key moment when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when you and all of the other things you've learned about God that mom taught you and dad and teachers and other examples and reading from scripture yourself, little by little, saving trust comes. But it started when nursing at mom's breast. And isn't that incredible thing? And doesn't that put motherhood in its proper perspective? Doesn't it show the incredible significance of what it means to be a mother? And I could stand here on Father's Day and talk in the same way about the importance of being a father. But here's the thing, if we look at the Ten Commandments, we can see very clearly a kind of a two-table structure to the Ten Commandments. There are four commandments that are devoted to God. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make or worship any idols. Isn't that striking to hear that after watching that terrible video? What a tragedy. It, literally, I could feel the sting of tears as I was looking at that and thinking about the emptiness as that, that, that young man was touching his head in the idol over and over and thinking, there's nothing there. It's just emptiness. And so tragic. And, and God said, you know, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain and remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Those four commandments focusing on our relationship to God. The last six focusing on our relationship to other human beings. And so Jesus rightly summarized all of the laws of God in two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I see this fifth commandment as a hinge or a link between the two tables. Do you see it? 
The fifth commandment is, honor your father and mother. Why is it a link? Well, ironically, I actually think we experienced this one before we experienced the first four. When we come into the world as an infant, we can't honor God and worship him only above all others. We don't know what idols are. Wasn't it tragic to see the little boy in his father's arms as he's leaning over and reaching out his hand so he could touch the idol? And he's being, he's being taught to be an idol worshiper. I saw the same thing in Japan. Little children who are trained in how to clap for their Buddhist god and, and worship there at the Shinto shrine and all of these things. And it just breaks your heart. But, you know, they come into the world, infants, children come into the world with a natural proclivity to honor their parents. They have some other natural tendencies too, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay? But they're ready for that. And so the first thing they experience is their parents, this awesome presence in their lives. They can't put words to it. It's significant. And, and so they begin there. And it's not like the fifth commandment's more important than the first four. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's how we access or begin our education, our religious education with this one. Honor your father and mother. Malachi 1 and verse 6. Don't look there, but just listen. God puts it this way. A son honors his father. A servant honors his master. If I am a father, where is the honor that's due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect that's due me? You see what God is doing? He's saying, you know these earthly relationships. You know how it works between a father and a son. Why isn't it working that way toward me? Why do I not get the honor and respect that I deserve, having created fathers and mothers and children and the world and everything in it? Where is the respect and the honor due to me? So this is the way I look at it. Our honoring of our fathers and mothers is really a subset of our honoring of God. And it comes before it logically and temporally in time. It's, it, we start there, and then we expand beyond it to a greater love, a greater honor for, for God, the Creator. But this is absolutely essential, and if this one falls apart, it's difficult to do anything else. Look at Matthew 15 as another uh, kind of initial verse to understand this. I'm totally at peace because there's no way we're going to finish this tonight. So I, you know, I just we'll get as far as we can and we'll move on. I have no problem with that. But look at Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, "Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat." What a question to put to the incarnate Son of God. Why don't they wash their hands? But what's going on? You're not following the traditions of the elders. I tell you this. You don't come to Jesus lightly with a challenge. You're going to get your lunch handed to you. All right? If you're not ready, you're going to end up walking away, like in Matthew 19, a bunch of, of adulterers. Or, or you know, in Matthew 22, they're shocked and stunned at his, at his answer concerning uh, the pay, payment of, of taxes to Caesar. They thought they had him on that one. There's no way you're going to get ahead of the creator of the universe. He's thought of all these questions before the world began. And so they come with the question concerning traditions of the elders. And this is what Jesus said. And why do you break the command of God? for the sake of your tradition. For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, uh, he is not to honor his father with it. 
Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now what's interesting to me is the two appearances of the word honor here. Do you notice it? First, Jesus refers to honoring of the parents. He's bringing up as a test case to show how their traditions overturn the command of God. What is Jesus referring to? This idea of korban or a gift devoted to God. And if you did that, it's kind of like a tax shelter back in those days. You know, if you could do that, you could retain the use of the money and not have to use it to support your elderly parents. And so what's striking here is Jesus considers the command to honor your father and mother to be lifelong. Isn't that striking here? Lifelong. And, and yet they had found a loophole, so they thought. There's no loopholes in the commands of God, none at all. But they thought they found a tax shelter, as it were. You know, I bet you the tax accountants got together and figured this one out. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law said, now here's a thing, all right? Maybe if we do this thing and honor God with it, we don't have to give it for our parents, you know? Um, and so they don't have to honor, honor uh, their parents uh, financially by supporting them. Jesus said this whole thing nullifies the word of God. The tradition nullifies the word of God. But then he goes beyond that. You see what he does? He says, because you don't honor your parents, you are not honoring me. So that's why I say that our honoring of our father and mother is a subset of our honoring of God. Do you see that? If we do not honor our parents, we are not honoring God. It's similar to Jesus' statement, if you don't love the Son, you can't love the Father who sent him. It's the same kind of thing. If you dishonor the Son who's right in front of you incarnate, you cannot honor the Father who sent him. And if you dishonor your parents who are standing right in front of you physically and have been training you and to whom you owe a great debt larger than you could ever repay, if you don't honor them, you will never honor God. You will not believe in him. You will not follow him or obey him. And so you see Jesus links the two here. Because you nullify the command to honor your parents, you dishonor me. That's what he's saying. And it makes sense too, doesn't it? Because God is the one who's established all authority. Anyway, he says in Romans 13, every authority that exists has been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority that God has established is rebelling against God. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's Romans 13. He's speaking generally about government there. But what's the first government you face in your life? Is it not mom and dad? <laughs> That's the first. And there's no separation of church and state. Not in my home, anyway. We don't practice religious freedom in my home. There's just a complete marrying of everything there. It's like a kind of a benevolent dictatorship there. Kind of go, you know, mom and dad together, we just kind of run the thing. You know what I'm talking about. And, and the children come in, and, and that's the first authority that they face. And if there's a problem right from the start with the honoring of father and mother, they'll have trouble all their lives. They'll have difficulty their whole lives. Now, let's look a little more carefully. That's just by way of introduction. I used up all my time in introduction, but that's all right. Um, let's look a little more carefully at what is commanded. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? The meaning of the word here in verse 12, to honor your father, it's related to the word kavod, it's related to the word for glory. I guess in a, in a strict way you could say glorify your father and mother. Give them the proper, uh, it's also related to the word for weight, you know, massiveness. Give them the proper weight, the proper honor, the proper glory that corresponds to their role as father and mother. 
That's what it means. One time when I was seeking to train my children in this matter of honoring father and mother, I went to my Bible search software and just printed out every verse that had the word honor in it. There were many pages, weren't there, kids? I mean, we just, page after page, and for a week or two, we just read the verses and talked about what it meant. It was an incredible word study. And so I've decided to share it with you tonight. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But what, I, what I've done, I'm, I've called across and found some significant things concerning the meaning of this word honor. First of all, there's an honor that we owe to God. Now, I've already touched on that in the introduction. But we owe God honor. In that same psalm, Psalm 22:23, it says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. And so we are commanded to honor God, to give him an honor, a reverence, a fear, a weight of glory that belongs to his position as God. Honor is therefore a kind of a reverence or respect for the name and the position and the person of God. There was a, this is one of my favorite stories in Acts 19, um, of the exorcism that was done by some Jews in Jesus' name. This is interesting. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, that Jesus, the one whom Paul preaches, I can tell you right now it's not going to work. But they're trying to use the name as a talisman or a good luck charm. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. But one day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Isn't that great? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, listen now, this is key. They were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You see that? The weight of the name of Jesus. You don't play with it. This same demon, if Peter or Paul had been there and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out, would have gone out with every bit as much fervency as the seven sons of Sceva did. Terrified they were of the name of Jesus. I'm talking about the demons. Terrified of the name of Jesus. And so the name of Jesus is held in high honor. The name of Jesus is held in respect and reverence. Fear, therefore, is also part of the honor that we pay to God. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers and put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, now listen, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. Do you hear that? See, what happened is you don't play with worship. And God will do things so that as a result of that, everybody honors the name of God. Now, what am I doing here tonight? I'm trying to get you to understand a biblical, a biblical understanding of the word for honor. So that you can, in a lower and lesser sense, honor your parents. That's all. Because as I said, our honoring of our parents is a subset of our honoring 
of God. Outward physical worship is a form of honor to God. It says in uh, Psalm 50, verse 23, He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. We honor God with our wealth. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. And we honor God when we give him credit for our salvation. Psalm 50 again, and this time verse 15, says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Isn't that great? Spurgeon, in talking about that, says that, that, that we take shares and God takes shares. We get ourselves into a day of trouble, and we call on the Lord. Then he takes his share and delivers us from it. Then we take our share back, and we honor him and respect him for what he's done. Now, the central honor that we offer to God is obedience to his commands, obeying him. Numbers 20, verse 12. Uh, this is when Moses um, and Aaron were told that they would not enter the promised land. You remember that? God told them to speak to the rock. The rock had already been struck, and it poured forth the river of life, the water of life for the Israelites in the desert. God said, speak to the rock, and the water will flow. And instead, they struck the rock again, and that totally ruined the symbolism because the rock was Christ and he was just going to get struck once. And God really cares about typology and symbolism. And so he said this in Numbers 20, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of all the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And he says it again in Numbers 27:14. When the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. And so to obey God is to honor him. To honor him is to obey him. That's what it means. And so we honor God by doing what he commands. That's what it says in 1 Samuel 2, 29 and 30. This is uh, Samuel's prophetic word to Eli, the house of Eli. He said, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? The word honor is, they, Eli honored his sons by saying, go ahead and take what you want out of the pot. Anything you want. You honored your sons above me. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. So this is what it means to honor God. And he takes it very seriously, very seriously. Now, this honor is in a lesser way commanded by God concerning other people. We are to show respect to whom respect is due and honor to whom honor is due. You're supposed to fear God, love the brotherhood of believers, and obey the king, it says in 1 Peter. So there's a certain respect in a lesser sense due to created beings and their positions. And first and foremost of this is our parents. Honor your father and mother, therefore, is a subset of the honoring that we do to parents. Now, next time, God willing, I'm going to talk about how we honor people. The Bible has a lot to say about this. There are certain outward trappings of honor. There are certain ways that we show honor and preference. And these are the things that God's commanded us to do for our parents. Why don't we close in prayer? 
Father, we thank you for the time we've had tonight to consider this topic of honor. And Lord, I pray that we would honor you above all things, that we would not fall under the condemnation of Isaiah, who said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I pray that we would honor our parents, our father and mother, and I pray that we as parents would teach our children to honor us, not for an ego trip or because we love the power, but because their very souls are at stake as they're learning how to trust in you and how to respect you and how to fear you and show reverence for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. 
We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.